Hi, thanks for listening to C3 Hobart Online. The following message is part of our series called The Jesus Agenda, where we are looking at not what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus do. We hope you enjoy this message. I kind of love, uh, I love the holidays. I, I kind of really despise the holidays, but I also love them at the same time. I despise them because there's so many people I, I know out there who need to hear the Word of God and that aren't in churches. But I love the fact that we have podcasts now. We have YouTube now. And so we have the availability to listen to these sort of things. So I want to encourage... if, And we also know that there's a lot of people coming tonight too, which is fantastic. And I also know this. In the God's got who... God has got who he wants here right now. God has got who he wants here right now. You're not just ticking a box by being in church this morning. You're not just ticking the box and saying, yeah, I'm just here, I have to do it, I have to show up or my connect group leader will get cranky at me or something like that. You're here because you're meant to be here and God's got a message for you. Can I just ask for the next 25 minutes... Open your ears, open your heart, no matter where you're at. You may have been a Jesus follower for the last 50 years of your life. There is fresh manna coming. There is fresh manna coming. Pastor Andrew, it is great to see you. I followed you on uh, Facebook all around the world where you went on your holidays. You know, we've got some incredible pastors in this state who have put down some great foundations. I honour guys like Pastor Andrew who up in uh, Launceston is building a great church, building a phenomenal church. And right across this state we have great churches. There is fresh manna coming, people. There is fresh manna coming. So open your ears and open your hearts to receive what God has for you this morning. Last weekend, uh, Morella and I were up in the north and northwest with some of our C3 churches. And I, I just want to give you the report that things are good. C3 Wynyard is kicking goals. They're a great little church in C3 Wynyard. Jeff and Fiona are up there doing a fantastic job. C3 Devonport last Sunday night, uh, speaking there, it was insane. It was absolutely insane. Uh, they had over 100 at their night service and they had 35 on the altar that night. It was incredible. There is things breaking off up there amazingly. Uh, I was praying for people down on the altar and I could hear Brian, Pastor Brian behind me going, you can go now if you need to or if you need more prayer, come on up. And there's like another 10 came up and I'm like, oh man, we're in for a long night here. I'm on overtime tonight. But it's so good to see what God is doing in that place. And then uh, the next day, uh, the eight senior pastors of the churches, including Launceston as well, we met together and we just started the day praying. And it was just beautiful to have eight senior pastors together. One was by video phone, but that's okay. And we were just praying together. And it was really was a, a great thing to hear these pastors praying for the states and praying for you as people. God is doing things in Tasmania, people. God is doing things in Tasmania. And, and as we were there, we were just believing in what he's going to do as well. One of the terms, we always talk about a term, uh, Petty preached last week. I listened to it on podcast on Sunday night and truly I thought I was in a revival tent. It was outstanding. Can I tell you something? Let's stop having that mentality of saying that, that have that mentality of saying, oh, we're about to enter into a revival. We're in it. God is doing things. Souls are being won daily in this state. 
People's lives are being changed. So we've got to stop doing this, oh, yeah, I'll just wait a few more years and the next ones will take over and we'll get into this revival. We're in revival, people. We're in revival and God is going to use this church and every other church around this place to fulfill his kingdom. As part of this series, a month back, uh, we're in week nine of this series. I'm not going to focus on, on Pastor Andrew too much, but he just did a 200-week series on Jeremiah. Man, I feel like an amateur. We're on week nine. We're on week nine of the Jesus agenda. And uh, a, a month back, I preached a, um, a kind of on a warning that Jesus gave to the crowd who were focused on the miracles he performed and ended up missing the message that he proclaimed. And then a few weeks later, I spoke from a passage in Mark chapter 6 where they were back in Jesus' hometown and his hometown people, his hometown hoods discarded him completely and they actually turned on him. Remember we talked about the fact that they were amazed in the red chairs and they were offended in the atrium. And as a result, the miracle was missed because the messenger was rejected. Today, I want to complete the trilogy with a message that I've titled, Don't Miss the Miracle, Waiting for the Miracle. Don't miss the miracles that are happening in your life, the breakthroughs that are happening in your life, waiting for the miracle that you believe is ahead. And I'm actually going to use a passage in Matthew. We've been in Mark the whole way through, but we're going to use a passage in Matthew. This text that I want to use actually is in Mark, but Matthew gives it a little bit more detail. Before I get to it, though, uh, I want to go back. I'm going to be looking in Matthew chapter 15 for anyone who journals. Matthew chapter 15, and we're going to be looking at verse 29 to 38. But before we get to that passage, I want to go back a chapter into Matthew chapter 14, where Jesus had just fed the 5,000 men and, and then women and children. And he's now told his disciples, we've, we've, we're mo- we need to move on, get into the boats and move on. In verse 22, we read that Jesus told his disciples, get into the boat and head to the other side of the water. This is chapter 14, verse 22. Get into the boat and head to the other side of the water. While they were doing this, Jesus finds some time to pray. Jesus finds some time to pray. He's just fed 5,000 plus women and children. But what does he does? He remembers his priorities and says, I need to get away and spend some time to pray. As we lead up to what, eight weeks till Christmas or whatever it is, we can get so busy in our calendars that to try and find time to pray becomes an afterthought. Can I encourage in this busy, busy, busy time when there is grand finals of kids things and Christmas breakups and all of these sort of things that happen, find some time to get away between you and God. Things go better when you start with you and God. So Jesus has told his disciples to get in the boat. He's found some time to get away and pray. As I studied for this series, I asked God to reveal fresh manner to me. And besides the obvious in the fact that Jesus performed miracles, is the fact that for me, I I got this understanding that we live in the middle, that we live in the middle between fear and faith. That I'm constantly living in the middle, in this tension zone between fear and faith. 
Carl Lentz from Hillsong in New York says this, fear can be your fuel, but don't let it be your boss. Fear can fuel you, but don't let it be your boss. And in this passage, Peter is kind of like the, the epitome of what I'm talking about. The disciples are getting in, are in the boat, they've gone out, they've headed out there, and they're getting smashed by waves and this kind of wild storm. Now, although these guys are experienced fishermen uh, and they lived around the water, they are struggling. And no matter how experienced, sometimes our fear just rises up inside of us. Uh, as part of my job, I flew over 500 missions in a helicopter. I got pretty used to what it was. I got pretty comfortable. You get in there, you connect in, you put all your stuff in. But every time you kind of hit a sandstorm or a bit of a windy patch, there would be times when the fear would start rising. And I'm thinking, well, this is not a first time. It's not a fear because it's a first time. It might have been my 400th time. But there was kind of like this fear started rising in me as you sort of look out the window and you'd grip on a little bit harder here. You'd inject yourself with a bit of Intansitron so you wouldn't vomit. You're allowed to do those things as long as you signed them off. I do get a little, little motion sickness. But, but the, the point is, is that even though I got used to doing something and it was a regular occurrence, there is times when you sometimes live in that tension between the fear and the faith. I had faith in the pilots. We had some of the best EMS pilots that there was. And I had faith. I'd seen their resumes. I'd, I'd been part of the, the program to hire these guys. I trusted them completely. But there were there certainly times when my fear factor was rising a little bit. Peter, with a head full of fear and a heart full of faith, got down out of the boat into the water where the wind was blowing and he started walking towards Jesus. Now, I've actually heard preachers along the time and I listened to one during the week because I was trying to get an understanding of what it was. But where they've ridiculed Peter because the minute he saw the wind and the wave, the fear overcame the faith. But I rest in a Jesus that sees our attitude of saying, I am willing. Because I didn't see anybody else getting out of the boat. I saw a Peter who said, we're getting buffeted by waves here. We're getting smashed here. Who said, no, actually, I am willing. A verse back in the, in the ESV, it says they cried out in fear. So the disciples are crying out in fear because they've seen what they believe is a ghost out there. But Peter says, yeah, the fear factor is high. I'm living in the tension with this, but I'm going to step out in faith because I am willing. Our passage today is in Matthew 15, as I said, 29 to 38. And between Peter walking on the water and now, Jesus has stayed true to his mission. Jesus' mission was people. We spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. I love New York City's, C3 New York City's vision statement. It is Jesus Christ. Their mission is people. It's not hard. For sign writers, it's pretty easy. It saves on all those words. You kind of doesn't take much to remember that. Vision is Jesus Christ. Mission is people. Jesus stayed true to his mission. Jesus stayed true to the people. 
If you read through the Gospels of Matthew and Mark as we've been doing in this Jesus agenda, we see that Jesus was healing the sick. We see that Jesus was speaking life into people. We see that Jesus was about building relationships. All of these cultural factors that I talked about two weeks ago, where we talk about the fact that we speak life. We talk about the fact that we are better together. We talk about the fact that relationship is important. It's not about attendance, it's about engagement. Verse 29. Thanks, Zach. Jesus returned to the Sea of Galilee and climbed a hill and sat down. A vast crowd brought to him people who were lame, blind, crippled, those who couldn't speak, and many others, all sorts of people in need. I like this passage. It doesn't say the people came to Jesus with a cup of tea and wanted to share what was good was going on. They brought those who were in need. They laid them before Jesus and it says here, and he healed them all. Verse 31, the crowd was amazed. How many times during the Jesus agenda have we seen the crowd was amazed? The crowd was amazed. How many times, people, are we being amazed? How many times do we look back at the miracles that have happened in our life and we're amazed or are we disappointed because we haven't got to the one that's in front of us yet? How many times do we thank God and turn around and say, thank you for that healing. Thank you for breaking that addiction. Thank you for helping me in that finances. Thank you for quadrupling the price of my cows. Or are we so stuck on what's more and what's next? The crowd was amazed. Those who hadn't been able to speak were talking. The cripple were made well. The lame were walking and the blind could see again. And they praised, they glorified God, the God of Israel. Verse 32, then Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. Why? Because Jesus' mission is people. Yeah, I feel sorry for these people. The New King James Version says, I have compassion on these people. I love that word, compassion. They have been with me here for three days and they have nothing left to eat. Remember I said that Peter was willing to step out of the boat. Even though he lived in the tension, Peter was willing to take that first step. Well, Jesus here says, I am unwilling or I don't want to send them away, I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint along the way. It's written that during the American Revolution, a stranger rode his horse past a, a group of workers who were busy repairing a break in a rampart. And it was obvious to anyone around that the work was far too heavy for the size of the group who had been tasked to fix it. Their field commander was barking orders and shouting instructions while sitting on his horse. But it was recorded that he was not willing to get off his own horse and help them lift what needed to be lifted. The stranger approached the field commander and politely asked him, why aren't you going to get down and help them? To which the field commander replied with great dignity, I'm a corporal. The stranger apologised, dismounted from his own horse and proceeded to help the exhausted soldiers himself. 
When the job was finished, he turned to the corporal and said, Mr. Corporal, next time you have a job like this and not enough men to do it, go to your commander-in-chief because I'm sure that he'll be willing to help out. The stranger in plain clothes was commander-in-chief George Washington. If you understand anything at all about our commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ, is the fact that he is full of grace and compassion and that he is willing to carry the load with us. Jesus is willing to carry the load. Sometimes we're not prepared to ask. I heard here before, Rachel, beautiful prayer, Rachel, where she said, well, I'm entering into exam period and I'm pretty clever. I've got it all up here. I can do this on my own. It's kind of being a little bit, you know, like disrespectful to God. When we say I can do this on my own without giving God even the opportunity to help. Verse 28, then Jesus said, come to me all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Uh, Oh, sorry. Sorry, Zach. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus said, we've got a new program for our pro presenter today. So I stuffed it up. Sorry, Zach. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. That's Jesus' promise to us. Come to you. Come, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Being willing is not just blind obedience. It is having the right attitude. Peter, I love Peter. I kind of feel like I'm a little bit like Peter. There's that impetuous type stuff. There's that, you know, you're the voice or those sort of things there. But I love Peter because Peter was willing. Peter had the right attitude. Peter made serious mistakes. But Peter had the right attitude. And the reason I see the story of Peter walking in the water the way I do is because, because he lived in the tension between this fear and, and fear and faith, but he was willing to step out. I wonder how many times do we live in that tension between fear and faith when someone comes around us and says, can you pray for me? I wonder how many times do we in our circle live between that tension of fear and faith when someone comes up to you and says, hey, can you help me out serving on this? This part of it says, I want to. I want to step out in the boat and do this. I want to help in kids' ministry. I want to do these things, but I'm fearful that I'm not good enough. I'm fearful that I can't do it. One of the greatest challenges I think that we have been able to break down and the culture we've been able to break down is often is found in worship teams and churches everywhere is that you look down there and you think, well, I can play a few chords or I can sing, but I'm not at their level. So you live in this constant tension between fear and faith. You want to step out and serve. You want to be there. You want to be part of the team, but you've got this fear thinking, well, I'm not good enough. And maybe it's just about being part of the community. It may not be that your lead singing up front first time, but it may be that your presence on a Thursday night at practice is, is bringing the best out of somebody else. We live in this tension all the time between fear and faith. 
One of the challenges in training new paramedics was to ensure that their focus was, was multidimensional. In that, in that you can fix a person who has sliced open their arm but not understand that they've got other issues going on. You can fix someone on the outside and not know that inside they're emotionally bankrupt and broken. And we can live in this one-dimensional view of what miracles are in our life. That we can look forward and think, well, I'm waiting for that big one. I'm waiting for that pot of gold. I'm waiting for this healing on my life. And, and I'm waiting for these things. And I'm not saying God's not going to do it. But what we can do is we become so focused on this is we forget about what God's already doing around us. We can be saying, one of the things is we can be saying, well, I'm waiting for, for that breakthrough in my job, for that promotion in my job. I'm waiting for that promotion in my job. I'm waiting to get to that next level. And then you look around and you've had three pay rises over the last two years. Or your boss has actually given you five more people to actually train up and lead. Jesus said to his disciples, go get some food for these guys. They're hungry. And, and this is where our tension often starts because faith requires us to step into that which we hope for, but the evidence of that which we haven't seen yet. That's faith. Faith is about stepping into what we haven't seen. If it's already there, if it's already reachable and within our grasp, it's not faith. It's about stepping into that which we have not seen yet, but that the evidence of things, sorry, that we had stepped into the, which we had hoped for, but the evidence of which we have not seen. Verse 33, and the guys can come up. The disciples replied, Where would we get enough food here in the wilderness for such a huge crowd? I work on the theory that for most people, when the anxiety of the unknown is present, the tension of fear will exist. I work on the, on the, on the premise that when we don't know, when we don't have everything laid out in front of us, the fear factor becomes greater. And when the fear factor becomes greater, we dig a little bit deeper into our excuses. No, I can't help out there because I'm not good enough. Or I can't help out there because I'm sure I've got something on next Sunday. I can't help out there because I'm not equipped. The disciples said, where would we get enough food? We're not equipped. In the natural, we don't have it. It's 4,000 people here, Jesus. Yes, just a while ago you fed 5,000, but that was kind of a one-off miracle, wasn't it? There's now 4,000 here, plus women and children. We've got a few loaves, a few fish. Where would we in this wilderness have enough? Jesus says to them, verse 34, How much bread do you have? What's in your hand? What's in your hand? What's in your hand? As I, as I kept preparing for this message, that one verse, Jesus asks, How much bread do you have? I feel like today Jesus is asking us the question, what is in your hand already? 
It's important that we keep reaching forward. We keep praying. We keep believing in that breakthrough and that miracle. It's important that we keep doing it. Stevie and Jason are praying for breakthroughs and miracles. Many of us are doing these things, but it's about saying, what is in your hand? What is in your hand? I've equipped you. How much bread do you already have? They replied, seven loaves and a few small fish. So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish and he thanked God for them and he broke them into pieces. He gave them to his disciples who distributed the food to the crowd. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards they picked up an abundance, an overflow. After everybody was filled in the natural, they picked up an abundance and an overflow. Sometimes when we, when we can break through that tension of fear and faith and understand what is in our hand, we look at it and we think, well, maybe that's going to fill me just to the top. Well, God says, no, I'm going to fill you with an abundance and an overflow. Why? Because I love you. Why? Because my mission is you. My mission is you. My mission was not to claim some new land over there. My mission is people. So when he says, what is in your hand? He says, I'm filling you. He says, I'm filling you. I've equipped you. I've equipped you. And then there's going to be an overflow. I wonder how many times when we see a miracle happen in our life, do we turn around and look at the overflow that came with it? We ask for a miracle. Be specific in your prayers. And we ask for an overflow. And then God says, I'll do more than that. I'll give you an abundance. I'll give you an abundance. So much more than you ever asked for. Being a good Baptist boy, we used to use, finish the service with a benediction. And it often came from Paul's writings to the Ephesians where he said, Now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work in us to accomplish infinitely more, infinitely more than we might ask or think. That was our benediction to say that Jesus may accomplish more than we can even ask or think. Our minds aren't even big enough to ask what God's got in store for us. We're looking at the miracle. We're looking at the focus. We're looking at the breakthrough. We're looking at this and God says, your mind's not even big enough to see what I've got for you. Because all around you, there's a miracle happening there. Behind you, there's a miracle happening here. I've got a miracle in front of you, but don't miss the miracle looking for the miracle. God has worked in your life. And we keep striving and saying, yeah, yeah, but I'm trying to break through these things and I'm not perfect yet. Well, guess what? There's one perfect person and it ain't you. God's got an abundance in your life. John O'Hospin is laying in a hospital bed, praying for a miracle, praying for a miracle that he would actually see another sunrise. that he would see another sunrise. 
in six months' time, they're bringing a baby into this world. There is an abundance coming. You're not just going to see another sunrise. You're going to see an abundance of what God has got for you. Because there is blessings in this. So as you're saying with these miracles here, stop and give thanks to God for those miracles. Stop and say, thank you, God, for that miracle. I'm keeping my eyes firmly sighted on you, but I'm going to say thank you for those miracles that are there before me. Because He's a God of an abundance. tell you this the area where Jesus fed these people was a Gentile area in the Jesus agenda over these nine weeks we have celebrated diversity we have celebrated culture we have celebrated different different ethnic groups whether you're African whether you're Asian, whether you're European, whether you're South American, whether you're North American, whether you're Middle Eastern, whether you are black, white or anything in between, you need Jesus Christ in your life. And that's what the Jesus agenda is about. Each and every person here needs the touch of Jesus on their life. And this is what I love about this story. Jews sometimes missed it because they were caught up, focused, caught up. The Gentiles were hungry for it. And it's sometimes those around us in our community who become more hungry than we do because we've sat in the same chair for 20 years and we've missed the miracle people. And our next door neighbour is actually hungry for it. The Gentile is hungry for it, but we haven't stopped to turn around and have a look at them. When's the last time we've spoken to our, our person across the desk and said, I'm going tonight to hear the Professor Tim McCormack. He's a man of faith. He's done amazing things in his life. But how many times have we stopped to do that because we're so focused. I'm going to get to the end line. I've got to sit in church. I've got to do these things. The Gentiles, this was a Gentile area. They were hungry for it. The Gentile area were the people who were bringing the the lame, the sick, the blind and said, heal them. They were hungry. And Jesus healed all of them with an abundance. With an abundance. Why don't we stand? Why don't we stand? Peter because Peter was willing Peter was willing Peter was willing when he lived in that tension between fear and faith can you imagine him standing on the side of the boat they cried out in fear these were fishermen they cried out in fear and he's standing on the side of the boat about to jump in His heart rate would have been raised. And there'll be some in here today 
where your heart rate is raised a little bit because Jesus is doing a work. It's got nothing to do with what I'm speaking. I'm stumbling all over the place today. It's holiday weekend. But Jesus is speaking to you because His agenda is people. His mission is people. And you're standing on the side of the boat and He's saying, take a step towards me. Can I tell you what happens when you take a step? Sometimes you get wet. Sometimes it's cold. Sometimes you feel like you're drowning. But then one of the greatest messages that comes in this, as Jesus reached out, as Peter called out, Jesus reached out a hand and said, I am willing to pull you into the boat. Can I encourage today? If you are standing on the side of the boat and you're living in that tension between the fear of what will people think if I give my life to Christ? What will people think if I start asking them to come to the church? What will people think? Can I ask you to just move a little bit towards a faith? Move a little bit towards a faith of what God has already done in your life and what He's doing in your life. Thank you for listening. If this message has impacted you in any way, please don't hesitate to contact us at c3h.life.